You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. It's the Final Week Cricket Podcast. Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. We're coming to you from Lahore for this weekly edition of the show. We have travelled here today from Karachi. The fifth day of the second test match was yesterday. The epic draw that we talked about on the daily show we thought we might have a little bit more time jeff two days ago when uh, pakistan rule out for 148 we're thinking and even when it's two for 21 uh, in the fourth innings well maybe we have day five to ourselves maybe we'll have a bit more time uh, for matters podcast this week in mm-hmm. the end i'm not saying we're squeezing this in and uh, nothing like that but we've arrived and we're recording straight away I think it's more like if we'd had an extra day, we might have been able to put story time together. Um, yes, exactly. We, we might have gone from 2022 back to 1888 to see what was happening there. <laughs> that is unlikely to happen at I'm this still, point. I still think it's quite remarkable that we got last week's out the door yeah. uh, in the circumstances, given that we... On were, reflection, that, yes. That was, that was sharp work from the two of us. I know a bit <laughs> of the research was in the can before we uh, left our respective home bases, but still, uh, you know, that, that, was, that was willing uh, those days between Rulpindi and Karachi it will be between the second and third test matches too yeah I, th- I think also because we had a very slow test match in the first one and everybody was healthy that that probably yes <laughs> is a contributing factor as well when um let's uh i would just uh, look i don't necessarily want to go into detail here but we're just going to say the second test has been challenging for uh, all of the tourists except for barat who's yes. had a, a lifetime of getting accustomed to whatever might be thrown his way in this part of the world. Interesting talking to Barat around uh, this topic over the last couple of days. He thinks that when you're in this part of the world, remembering that he grew up in in Mumbai and Mm. um, only moved to Australia, I think it was four years ago, there is a bit of a sensory overload when you're not conditioned to it. Like, it is 
loud, of course. It's louder than we're mm-hmm. accustomed to it being uh, where we've grown up. And just, the, I guess, the, the, the senses are all alerted at all times. And it does make it a fraction harder to switch off in different ways. And I think that applies to the physiological reaction as well. Like your body is always being tested by not that you're, you know, haven't eaten different types of food before of course we have but you have a routine of sorts that, that you live by and then you and you're taken out of that and you're having curry three times a day and you know suddenly uh, your body often will say let me just hold you up on that for a moment yeah um i'm gonna i'm gonna give you an enforced break on three curries a day and we'll come back to it <laughs> in 48 or 72 hours i think it's like you know when there's a thunderstorm and your dog freaks out and your dog's just like, I don't know what's happening here. This is too much. These things are happening at frequencies that I'm not comfortable with. Yes. And so we, we, we forget that we're animals. You know, we think yep. we're just brains. We're big brains in jars that float around, like drive this little <laughs> brain tank car around. And we're like, oh, a thing. How interesting. I will engage with it intellectually. But there's the whole animal part as well. And the animal part's just been dropped into this massive city where every time you ride in a vehicle, it is genuinely terrifying. Sure. Um, where, yeah. where like traffic flows have a kind of rhythm that we don't understand, but that people do who live in them, where uh, the lights, the pollution, the noise, the, I mean, the noise at the cricket is totally different to any noise at any cricket match we've ever mm-hmm. been to before, even, even something like that, you know, doing the commentary at... Karachi outside on a balcony where it's 35 degrees and, and we're in the shade and it, w- it was a, a great experience. It was a thrilling experience, but it was also a, a sensory overload experience just commentating the cricket. Then you go out for dinner, you know, and then you're in a street with literally 10,000 people in it all eating and talking and carousing and selling each other things and, and all of the rest of the things that they're doing. So many lights blaring, people coming up and wanting to talk to you all, all of the time, uh, trying to communicate between languages when you've got language barriers. All of these things are exhausting. And so you put it all together. And after a few days, you're probably okay. And after a couple of weeks, your body, your, just your entire body is like... Yeah, I think that's really well summed up. It's, it, it doesn't hit you in the first few days. It, mm. it hits you after a little while. Even the way that you might, so, so in my case, miss uh, my baby, right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think for the first few days, I obviously missed Winnie, but it wasn't an acute pain. Two weeks into the trip, I am longing to see her and, yeah. and I think that contributes to it too and and Rach but I think it's different when Rach and I are intellectually you know I know that she knows I'm coming home soon yeah. it's a bit harder when talking down a zoom screen well a whatsapp screen to my two-year-old daughter yeah. and she says to me daddy's stuck in Pakistan daddy needs to be rescued <laughs> daddy ris-. yeah yeah and I'm yeah. like fuck like that you know, mm. she she knows I'm coming back, mm-hmm. but how can she possibly know when I'm coming back? Yeah. And she isn't trying to guilt me or anything or manipulate me, but no. th- there's an element of guilt that I'm carrying around with me. And I haven't had that since she was born because all the times I've been away from her have been such short yeah. um, stretches that we haven't had the chance to get into a rhythm. Now we're in a rhythm and I don't like it. And and the first when it's the first few days, you go, oh, it's been a short space of time since I last saw her and we're able to to, to know that that doesn't that hasn't added up to something significant yet once you get to this point it's like oh this is my life now my life yeah. is not having this person in it yeah. who, who I want to be in it and a- you absolutely. can't you can't figure that out yeah and, and you don't want her to, I, I yeah the, the great fear is that she she thinks that you have left her or I've left her and yeah. I know and I know that because I'm we're talking a lot on video calls that she won't necessarily arrive at that conclusion but mm. yeah it's unusual perhaps this is a function of the pandemic too by the way if not for what happened 2 years ago and I'm don't like making the pandemic about me, but you know we would have gone to Bangladesh 
in the middle of 2020 when Winnie was four or five months old, right? Yeah. And we would have had three weeks away and this would have been all brought forward. Yeah. It's the fact that I've almost had the chance to delay it for two years. Mm. Wonderful as it's been, it's more acute now. And, and pr- I mean, probably, I don't know, I, I don't have a baby and, and I don't intend to, but I'd say a kid that's four or five months old, you know, they're like a, a kind of delightful little caterpillar at that point. You know, exactly. They, you, they curl up somewhere in a corner and go to sleep, but they're not engaging with you on a on a sort of language level on no. a, on an alert conscious level they're they're clinging on to you in, in an unconscious way so you're you're missing the entire person which I, i'm sure people with babies will say that they're people but to, they're not really people yet it, it does yeah definitely it took a while before i felt like she really gathered you know they know who their mum is but their dad yeah. comes a bit later and mm. that's clearly the relationship we have now anyway you, this is quite indulgent isn't it but it, yeah it no, is no, in- i think it's important i think yeah. i think it's important and 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 then the other part is you throw in being sick like when you when you're sick everything is is emotionally harder as mm. well as physically harder because you're I was talking to Peter Lawler about this and it was he was quite perceptive he goes every time I'm sick I, I go this is a great injustice why has this happened to me <laughs> um, and it's true I feel the same way I'm like this is so unfair like yesterday I was happily eating a sandwich now I cannot eat a sandwich what have I done to deserve this now I can't you eat know? anything yeah oh, the indignity and Pete said to us uh, last night at the bar actually which we had at our previous hotel and found about five mm. days after arriving belatedly that it was wasn't called a bar it was called a uh, cigar lounge cigar lounge that's and right. they did not sell cigars <laughs> no no <laughs> we asked if they had to, not that we wanted them but we just asked out of curiosity no that's right it, it had a, a, a thick yeah. cigarette smoke vibe in that room mm. but um, no one was actually smoking cigars but yeah he, he said that on all the tours that he's been on and i've been on a lot and you've been on a lot but pete's been on on many since yeah. 2004 i think he started doing this this has been the hardest one we've only been here two weeks sometimes we're mm. away for two or three months so it's at once an extraordinary experience and i'll be gutted when we when i leave lahore next week and go back to england knowing that yeah. it's come to an end because i just am trying to savor every moment of this and really soak it all in knowing that it may not happen again in this country but equally acknowledging that this is hard yakka and the yeah, the illness component. When I was uh, asleep on the bathroom floor for an hour a couple of days ago, yeah. we've all been there. We've uh-huh. all been there. I thought to myself, how on earth am I going to broadcast the cricket yep. tomorrow? Yeah, and I think we both had these points yeah, at a couple yeah. of how, days. How do I possibly... And adrenaline kicks in and, you know, the, the fact that you just have to do it. There's no way that you can cry off when... It, well, in this well, case... When there was, were two of us doing it as well. Yeah. It's like, okay, do I leave you to do 90 overs on your own? That's Can't right. Really it's do that. just not sustainable um, to have one person. So, yeah, it's great. I'm grateful that it's you and I and we can bounce and bounce back and forth as we always have. But yeah. um, it is a chastening experience feeling that way when you are on air and you know i'm not saying that our reputations are at stake every time we step behind the microphone doing commentary but as they always say with these things who knows the people who might be listening at that particular time Mm. you never quite know what impression you are giving to someone who might be incredibly influential in what comes next in your career so that's always something i'm aware of when when talking on on any platform is that this could be the first or most important time you are ever talking and you don't even realise it. And doing so when your tummy's saying, go away, go to bed, piss yeah, off, that's yeah. not fun. Yeah, fall over, crawl in a heap. Can I share something? This was this is a tangent. Um, and it's, this is not specific, it's general, but can I share something hilarious and horrifying with you? Please. Uh, about this, I feel that people who are listening might be interested in this. So, some years ago, maybe maybe a decade ago, I had been travelling and had a lot of this kind of illness. Um, and when I was back home, I was at the GP for something or other. And he said, you know, when they say, is there anything else? And I just had this thought. I was like, you know, I'm curious. 
just have a question about medicine I'd like to ask you. Why is it that when you have an epic case of the runs for, you know, days on end, like why why does your ass start to hurt? Like why does it why does it start to sting like that? Welcome to the right? final word cricket podcast. Yeah. No, this is this is but people need to know this, all right. And he's like, Well, it's very interesting, you know, when you get a GP on something they're interested in. He's like, Okay, so um so you know, you've got everything in your stomach and normally when you when you turn food into into stools, everything gets packaged up into a sort of parcel. Uh, and then that parcel it contains not just food and, and, and sort of waste and so on, but the stomach fluids, the digestive fluids that have been in your stomach, and then it's all coated in a nice uh, coating of, of mucus that allows it to pass out easily, but also protects your body from the contents of this parcel, right? Uh-huh. Then when everything turns into a liquid, that doesn't happen. And so there's no protection and everything gets exposed, right? And, and so, and so the, the, the skin, the external skin gets exposed to these fluids. And I was like, okay, so you're telling me that your asshole is getting burned by stomach acid on the way out. And I thought, this is horrifying. And he goes, no, it's not acid. Your stomach does not contain acid. That's a misconception. It's not acidic. What it contains is a digestive enzyme that breaks down meat. When you have diarrhoea, you are digesting your own asshole on the way out. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to remind you that I'm still pretty crook. I'm still nowhere near where I need to be. I feel like I might need to take a take a breather here just to gather my thoughts. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ask a follow up. I mean I admire your your curiosity. I admire your bravery telling that story to an extent. Is bravery the right word? Probably not. I'm not going to be my most articulate today because I'm still knackered. Boldness, yeah. The England women's cricket team, go boldly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We are going to talk about women's cricket today. I neglected to mention off the Mm. top that it's not just the Australia-Pakistan men's series that's going on around the world. The Women's World Cup uh, is reaching the pointy end of the group stage. We've got uh, a test series taking Uh. place in the Caribbean between uh, the West Indies men and England and another one in the World Test Championship between Sri Lanka and India, which came to its conclusion a few days ago. Good segue. At the Chinnaswamy <laughs> Stadium in Bangalore. I'm desperately trying to move on. Um, but let's, yeah. So that's that's a Pakistan. Medical professional television. That's that. Pakistan. Just on the actual result yesterday, uh, I, I recommend Jared Kimber's most recent uh, newsletter post, Substack post. I'm mm-hmm. not sure what the, the what the what the formal jargon is about the draw, and it was it's a reminder that. Like there were a lot of drawn test matches around the world before Pakistan stopped playing in Pakistan. So between mm. 2009, sorry, make that 2000 and 2009, according to the numbers that he's crunched, about a quarter of test matches were drawn. The 10 years where test cricket was away from here it moves to about a fifth. That's, that's a reasonably significant variation across a 10-year block. And now that we're playing test cricket here again, there mm. are more draws. And like his point is that we shouldn't be surprised. This is just part of the rhythm of test cricket that we weren't that conditioned to quite so much because we didn't have any fixtures over here. And that's okay. We did like, have I think fixtures we're... in the UAE and that was pretty... But they didn't have draws at the same frequency that, mm. for whatever reason, well, there are a number of reasons. It's the surface, it's the conditions, it's the ball. Yeah. There, there are, And also the, the, the fact that the teams here have grown up batting time which mm. is what Australia did in the first innings here at, well, at, 
down the road, down the road across the country at Karachi, uh, where they batted for. <laughs> it know, is down a road. There is a road from here to Karachi. It I takes suppose there would be a yeah, sixteen-hour drive away or yeah. something like that. Yeah. But yeah, batting time is culturally far more part of the game than mm. in Australian cricket where culturally we think well if you win the toss and bat first and go for five and a half sessions and get two bites of the cherry with the new ball that is the dream scenario you would never think that batting into the third day would be advantageous whereas here and I saw some back and forth around our, our conversations around the declaration or the lack of declaration mm. and then the follow-on and Australia not enforcing it from our daily show in, in the YouTube comments and saying, well, hang on, why are you being so dismissive of the idea of Australia and, and the follow-on? And it wasn't that we were being dismissive of the proposition. It was more that we were trying to explain that it isn't as straightforward as it might be if it were 22 degrees on a green top in England. It was And that, you had bowled 25 overs and, and instead of 53. And you had bowled 25 overs and, and you weren't anticipating. And you had over three here, quicks instead of two. Yeah, yeah. Over here we're learning very quickly. It's a crash course in Pakistan cricket, actually mm. watching it firsthand. Things take an awfully long time to move on. And the exception to the rule was... Pakistan being bowled out for 148 yeah. helped along with a couple of runouts too. We should remember, like the, and some bad shots, and some bad shots. So, and, and that's the pressure that the scoreboard provided mm. on them. That first runout, for example, yeah. and what happened in that middle session when the ball started reversing, they look up at the board and they're still, you know, sort of 500-ish runs in arrears. Yeah, that's part of the magic of Test cricket. It's not just what's going on then and there, not the discrete interaction with the bowler. It's looking up at the board. It's everything that's come before it. It's the fact that it's played over a number of days. And yeah, I just found that interesting, like remembering that, okay, not all test cricket needs to be played the same way. The same way. The first mm. seven test matches I covered in 2015 when I was yeah. properly on the road, two in the Windies and five in England, all of them finished inside four days, yep. a couple inside three days. And that's cool. I really enjoyed that. But I remember coming home from that series, Jeff, and saying, oh, I'd love to see some test matches go five days. And so, and so it was through that summer that followed. But, yeah, it takes all types. And I, I think we should be a, like, kind of relaxed about this. It doesn't mean it's a bad test match because it's been drawn. It's not inherently a bad contest because it's been drawn. It's just a different experience. And this is something I remember Michael Clark always saying this kind of thing and some of the others parroted it. Maybe Shane Warne used to say at first, you know, a good test wicket is one that does something for the quicks on the first day, becomes good for batting on days two and three, and then starts to take turn from days four and five. And you're like, yeah, that's one kind of good test wicket. They don't all have to do that. It's not like every pitch everywhere in the world has to behave the same way. Like, I don't, I don't mind it. Um, a shit heap if it's if it's turning you know I, I don't like a, a flat sort of shit heap that doesn't do anything but if if you've got like a test that's over in three days because the ball's spinning like I'm okay with that because it's interesting like something like that England India test where Rohit Sharma ended up making 100 and the ball was doing heaps and everybody else struggled to bat but he made 100 he looked like it was possible to bat on it it just wasn't easy for everybody yeah and we had that long conversation at the time like where I fall on this is that what you described before, that is the perfect, to me, that that's the mm. perfect test pitch where a pitch gives something to everyone across five days. I suppose what I'm saying is is that provided there is the opportunity to take, for one team to take 20 wickets and win mm. the match, which Australia had here. The Not previous week they didn't. Yeah. At Royal Pindy, no, no, no was, team was, was going to have... Yeah, there, there was no way a team was going to have sufficient 
opportunity to, to win the match. Unless so, unless they were vastly outmatching, you know, unless you were a really ropey batting side who yeah. was going to make mistakes and who didn't have the discipline to Yeah, two to decent long. test teams, yeah. which Pakistan very much are, and Australia are the number one team in the world right now. They're ranked one and two in the World Test Championships. That gives you some, some sense of where they're at. It would be very difficult unless one team capitulated to see a result mm. of Rawpindi, whereas at Karachi... There was every possibility that would have happened. If Kawaja takes that catch when Rizwan's on 91, Australia probably win, I think. Balance of probability with five overs to go, having a look at Hassan Ali, then Shaheen Sharafridi, you know, it's flip of the coin stuff from there. Now, I also don't think that it's ideal when a pitch is conceived of to last only three days. And that was the problem at Chennai last year and at Pune in 2017. When a pitch is set up that they know ahead of time, this is going to make sure the test is over inside three days. That's the other extreme. I don't mm. like that either. I think Karachi was okay on that basis. It wasn't Royal Pindi. It wasn't Chennai. Yeah. It wasn't what Michael Clark described there either, but it was fine. And it did enable a team to win the test match. They just didn't get it done. Yeah, and it was hard enough work that the team batting for the first two days couldn't come out and ping it along at four and a half and over and make 800. They actually had to work really hard to make big runs yeah. in the first innings as well. So it it wasn't a batting track in the way that Pindy was a batting track. Yeah, we, we saw the ball misbehave a little bit on the fourth and fifth days, yeah. which, which again is typically a sign of something that we want to see. And, and it probably should have broken up a bit more. Like, it probably should have deteriorated more. The, the footmarks were the main weapon for the bowlers at the Rather end. The it cracks, wasn't, it yeah. wasn't doing much off the flat bits. There were those occasional... Like, when Azar Ali gets out to that shooter, the bouncer that doesn't get up, we're thinking, OK, this is going to be impossible to bat on in a couple of hours. Oh, yeah, we're going home today. Yeah, and it yeah. just wasn't. It, it, was, it was relatively serene. Like, they were, they were conditions in which it was possible for Pakistan to pull off that outrageous rear guard. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So a lot of pitch chat. I don't think it's unreasonable to have some ball mm-hmm. chat too. Machine-made balls, kookaburras that die after, you know, 25 overs. They're no longer really yeah. new. I know that it did reverse throughout, and that's, that's a bit. fantastic. Um, enough. Yeah. I wonder how this series would be different if we were using a Dukes or an SG, especially a Dukes that's handmade or hand-stitched, sorry, with a prouder seam. I don't know. Maybe maybe no difference at all. I don't know. I'm just speculating that, you know, there's been a bit of a consensus in recent years that you get better test cricket with the Dukes ball in seeming conditions. Now, I wonder if you put that ball into conditions like this where it's fundamentally harder to take wickets, mm. whether it might bring that balance between bat and ball closer to where we would like it to be. It might not. Again, I stress this point. I'm just speculating. But I'd like to see... I'd like to see some creativity around balls. I wouldn't mind a situation where the ICC present... And the host boards present a series of balls to Mm. a captain at the start of a bowling innings. I don't think it would be necessarily a bad thing if a captain can go, well, actually, I'm going to use the SG here or I'm going to use the, the kookaburra Maybe there. for each time after 80 overs, you say, well, that one didn't do anything. We'll, we'll, we'll try the other the one. For the- well, I don't know why we get precious about this. I'm yeah. sure there'll be professional batters who are listening to this and think what I'm saying is completely ridiculous. <laughs> and, that, that, and that's cool. I, I, you know, yeah. when I, Whenever I've raised the idea of moving from a red ball to a pink ball mid-test match, I've, I've caught pelters from, from some professional cricketers. And that's okay. I, I get that I haven't played at that level, but... You know, if we became conditioned to it, 
maybe it's something that could be worth looking at where inside a test match, one ball clearly mm. isn't giving you the desired result and you can shift to another. It might be later in a test when you want to use the kookaburra because you don't want it to be you know, bouncing quite so much. And, mm. you know, anyway. Well, uh, yeah, I, I th- I'm pretty sure from memory that old test matches in, in England and so on, the home county who was hosting the match would provide the ball and it would be whatever they said it was. They just, whatever they had on hand, basically. Yeah. Um, so there wasn't yeah. a mandated home board type of ball they used just the same as you know players can use whatever batting equipment they want to use it was like rock up with what you want to bowl with basically so why not and and if we've had these issues in australia with the kookaburras being pretty bland and, and not producing great cricket then using them in pakistan where it's even slower and harder to to get a test match moving seems pretty obvious that that might not be the the way to go and the cooker worked well this summer because they juiced up the pitches but but and, and it had the extra layer of lacquer and dan Bredick had that story and yeah. i'm not sure again it's, it's really difficult it's a bit of i would say sort of put your the, finger in the air and work it out but the pitches had far more in them than ever before that's the other way around though i think the pitches got juiced up because the kookaburras weren't doing anything for the yeah, previous few yeah. seasons and ca were like we we can't keep having these sort of long grinding tests that that make our bowlers put in all of these overs into their legs and all the rest of it. We need to get the game moving a bit, and so they've, sure. they've done that to counter the ball. That would seem logical. All right, let's move off from balls and pitches and Pakistan and everything else that we talked about before, shall we? And move over to New Zealand to check back in on the Women's World Cup. I said off the top, we're we're nearing the home stretch. There are twelve group games to go. Uh, Sixteen have been played. Mm. Uh, we left it. Eight days ago with the West Indies chalking up a couple of early wins, Australia getting a good start, New Zealand having a, a middling start, England having not won a game, and South Africa and India only having just started their campaigns. Uh, we know a fair bit more now. In theory, it's six teams competing for four spots. In practice, it's probably four teams competing for two, given that Australia are four and zip and South Africa are four and zip after completing a, a, a stirring victory yeah. uh, against New Zealand earlier today when we were commuting from Karachi to Lahore. Uh, so there are going to be some... So they've, got, they've both got three to go, and if they either of them win one of those three, they're locked. That's right, and, and in Australia's case, they play in the home stretch Bangladesh I think they play them last so the probability of Australia missing out is very very low Bangladesh beating Australia would be the perhaps the greatest upset in the history of World Cups and that includes yes. and that includes the 04 grand final to talk of <laughs> Bruce McAvaney calling Stuart Jew's second goal in the third term that includes the 1983 World Cup I was going to say yes. with Australia Zimbabwe so the the way the week has sequenced is that well let's go to England first they were Norton 2 then they were Norton 3 mm. And remember, they're the defending champions. And, and they- I was trying to keep people calm about this. England people were getting stressed. Other people were saying England are out. They were seventh on the table at one point. No, sixth, seventh. No, they were seventh because Bangladesh well, got a win. Well, they were winless, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Bangladesh got a win and were above them. And I was like, no, no. They, could, they, they can still quite comfortably qualify because they will play New Zealand. And so I was like, they've got to, if they win four games from here... One of them will be a win over New Zealand. That'll get them up That'll, around yeah. the top four. And they've got I mean, decent run rate as well. Yep. Because in the game that they did win against India, they did so handily. So And all three of their losses have been very close. That's right. So first of all, they, they did lose that third game to South Africa, which was... Uh, 
a tough beat for them. Uh, they got to nine for 235 after a rubbish start. Beaumont and Jones made half centuries and got them out of the hole. And then Shrubsole gets an early wicket. They, they showed faith with Shrubsole and it's paid off bowling mm-hmm. well in, in the last couple of games. She gets Lizelle Lee, who's been the number one ranked player in the world over the last couple of years at different times. And Sophie Eccleston only concedes 23 runs from 10 overs and it feels as though the squeeze will be possible, but they get home uh, in the final over, which pretty much meant that they had to beat India. As you say, they, they had to win every game. It reminds me a little bit of the Australia men in 1999 in England where when it reached a point where they had no latitude, they immediately kicked into gear. Mm. And that was the case against India. They pumped them. Um, they bowled them out for 134. Shrub Sol again repaying that faith with two for 20, including uh, getting Madhali Raj, the, the captain, for one. And then Charlotte Dean, the off spinner, who I was so impressed by um, last year in, in the home summer, she took four for 23. And that, that net run rate, you know, getting the runs in just 31 overs with Heather Knight and Nat Siver getting them in a hurry means that they've kind of got an extra win already. Mm. Like if they get four wins and their net run rate... It'll keep going up. ...keeps going up from this point forward. They do have Bangladesh and Pakistan in the final stretch. They surely will win both of those games. Yeah, so the, so the way it works is that they're sixth. New Zealand's above them, but if they beat New Zealand, New Zealand will drop out. Like, New Zealand can't qualify from that point. They've already played five. So South Africa did England a favour today. Yes, yes. They, they, they well... Either South Africa had to lose a bunch of games or South Africa had to beat everybody. That, those, yeah. those were the most useful things. For yeah, England, England are served well by Australia yes. and, and South Africa, you know, running the table. Yeah, so England have West Indies, New Zealand and then India ahead of them. And so if they beat New Zealand, New Zealand drops out, England would go to fifth and then South Africa plays West Indies. So if South Africa beat West Indies, that'll mean England can jump them as well. But there are a few different ways for England to get up there um, through India because they've got to play Australia as well, so they'll likely lose that one um, the way yes. the Australians are playing. You know, I mean, slightly big call, I suppose, but the Australians look absolutely fearsome. They're flogging everybody. Well, there's only players. one team that can beat them at the moment, and that's going to be South Africa. I'm looking forward to the Australia-South Africa group game. It could be a preview of the final. Uh, the uh, the Proteas have basically recorded a double win today over New Zealand because not only does it put them at four wins, but it puts New Zealand yet further back. And remember, they're trying to qualify for the semi-finals. They just need to make it to the final four. In that game against New Zealand, the, the home side made 228. And you've got to feel for Sophie Devine. Like she does it yet again. She makes 93, supported by Amelia Kerr, who made 42, and Maddie Green, 30. But, you know, Shabim Ismail, three for 27. Aya Bungakaka, three for 31. Marazan Cup, two for 44. We say it over and over. They're the best seam group in world cricket right now. So when they go to work, they're very difficult yeah. to score off. And they chased the runs down in a, in a tight finish. They got home with three balls to spare. Wolvart laid the base with 67. Soon they lose the captain, made 51 in a frenetic finish. It was uh, Marazan Cap making 34 not out um, from 30. Five balls and Ayabunga Kaka uh, with her at the end, the number 10. So, and yeah. those two, Cap and, and Kaka, they've both got 10 wickets apiece. They're the, the lead yeah, wicket takers yeah. in the comp and they're in the same team. So that gives you a, a sense of the strength that South Africa have got bowling-wise. And then they've got Wolfhart making runs uh, with composure at, at the top of the order. They've had those two close finishes and Cap has been instrumental in those close finishes with the bat both times. So she's delivering with bat and ball. So they're missing Dane van Eekirk, but... 
they've got Marazan Cap doing two jobs. And Sunay Luce stepping up as captain as well, who's a, you know, we, we still probably think of her as a league spinner who mm. bats, but she's definitely a, a batter who can be throwing the ball to get it above the eye line. a player who starts out as a leg spinner <laughs> and yet becomes quite good at batting. I, yes. I can't think of a precedent. Absolutely. Uh, since the last time we talked, Australia steamrolled New Zealand and the West Indies will come to that in a bit more depth in a moment, but your yeah, Ashgard and the flying, Darcy Brown in the wickets, there's no weak links. So with Bangladesh to finish, uh, they will almost certainly yeah. uh, make it through between times. They have a good hit out against India, which I think will be important to play a team that they've had, you know, some success against, but India occasionally have beaten Australia. So they'll get them at a good time in the tournament, having had, you know, an absolute clear run so far. And then that game against South Africa, which, as I say, might end up being a preview of the final uh, in a few weeks from now. The West Indies, Jeff, strange tournament for them. They win their first two games. And they do have Pakistan and Bangladesh yeah, to finish. I think they'll qualify because, okay, so they've got but two they, wins so far. And then they've been hammered in their other two games. Yeah, but they can gobble up net run rate against those two and, and try to make up that run rate they've lost by being smashed smashed up by Australia. And well, they're going to have to. So, you know, after winning those first two, uh, they lose a lot of skin against India uh, and Australia. India smacked 317 for eight against them, mm. then bowled them out for 162. Uh, Smithy Mandana, uh, she they got her into the tournament. She made 123. And then Harman Preet Kaur, remember, remember her? Welcome back, Harry. Remember her? Harman Preet made 109. I think I was saying she shouldn't play in the World Cup about six months ago. <laughs> um, so, yeah, India getting that really important win uh, over the West Indies because they lost to England, as we mentioned before. Uh-huh. So... Um, that just keeps them uh, where they need to be in contention for probably fourth spot. And then against Australia... And, and also, the- Hayley Matthews doing a bit. Like, she's, she's been so out of it for such a long time, and now she's starting to... Well, how old is she? She was 16 when they won, when they won the World Cup in 2016. Was she 18? I, I think she was, she was 16. I reckon she was 16. So that would mean that she's now 22. I'm going to go 18, and she's 24. Yeah, That's I know when guess. I interviewed her, she wasn't yet 18, and that was in 2016, so I don't okay. quite know how she could have been 18 then. She was still a minor at that point when she came out to play in the, KS- in the KSL. In any case, she, she's still at that point of her career when, you know, it's unclear which... What, she could become a global superstar, mm. or she might be yet another, you know, bright talent who burns out, but runs They, they big did quite a good bit on the ICC website where they played the last over of that um, 2016 final, and they made her commentate it. <laughs> like oh, commentate right. herself winning. The, um, yeah, right. Well, which was it was pretty good gear. Absolutely. Well, she she made runs in a loss against Australia, the team that she beat in that 2016 World Cup T20 final. Uh, but they were all out for 162. Matthews top scoring with 43. I loved that Snayrana was in the wickets. Uh, mm. Who came back from the international wilderness against England last year? She took a threefer, go you good thing, uh, the veteran off spinner, and of course made that unbeaten eighty odd, wasn't it, on the last day of the Test match at Bristol? So a good all round option there for India. And as for the Windies, they fared little better against Australia, all out for one hundred and thirty one. So they've been rolled cheaply twice in a row uh, in that game. Elise Perry took the new ball and took the first three wickets. I don't think we penciled Perry into being a, a sort of frontline, new ball, potent, mm. quick in this tournament just because she hasn't bowled an awful lot in the last two years and she had that long drought between wickets. Well, that's been arrested now and, and she's obviously been making runs in the tournament, but taking wickets off the top, the, the Elise Perry of old is back. I think they were more phasing her out with the new ball in the T20 team, but they're happier for her to do it in the 50 over side mm. given that players are likely to be a bit more certain circumspect there's that 
caginess where you know yeah. she, she's got the smarts to do a bit of rope a dope with opening bats and all the rest of the it. Presence having the won presence. all those World Cups and all yeah. the rest of it. And form against, you know, I mean, career long form against the West Indies. Yeah, yeah. All yeah. the Steph- way back to that 2013 final. Stefani Taylor, who's been a, a long term adversary of Perry's, uh, made a half century. Then Australia gave themselves their own net run rate buffer by polishing off that 132 target in 30 odd overs with Rachel Haynes recording her second score of the tournament, 83 not out. And, and uh, look, um, no one's come close to Australia yet. Top three run scorers in the tournament Haynes, Wolvart, Sophie Devine, over 250 each. They're all. Flying for their respective teams. It hasn't helped New Zealand much. Uh, can I also note Amanda Wellington back in the Australian yes. team? She's played twice and she's played with Alana King. They've played two leg spinners. Two leggies. You're allowed. And then they left her out of the third game where they could yeah. have, for Jess Johnson. Interesting that they've been fairly ruthless with the rotation there. Like, I would have thought that if they were going to leave a spinner out, it would be King. Mm. With Jonathan having been ranked the number one bowler in the world fairly consistently over the last five years, still is. <laughs> is she number one right now? Pretty is sure. she right? Yeah, I, I would have thought that there'd be certainly a, until recently yeah. a reluctance to ever leave Jonathan out, but but they've done so in in favour of two leggies. That it was, might be a matchups thing. Might be about who they're playing and who's who's more susceptible to leg spin and so yeah. on. Yeah, it could well be. And that third win Australia had, devastating loss for New Zealand, really. It was like I was watching the games back at AB Field oh, a couple of years ago, It was Jeff, like watching um, Australia play England at Canterbury in 2019. Like yeah, just, just, just a huge mismatch here. And it shouldn't be. I mean, we, we spent a lot of time in the lead-up to the tournament reviewing how New Zealand had done in their bilateral series against India. And, look, I don't want to dwell too much on this because they'll be gutted. But, um, yeah, Australia making eight for 269 without even really getting out of third gear. Perry and McGrath making half centuries with robotic ease and then bowling out New Zealand for just 128. I mean, and, again, and Ash Gardner coming in to make 48 from 18 balls. Yeah, four end. sixes to finish or yeah. something like that. And yet they ro- they roll them for 128 in no time at all. More wickets for Perry, wickets for Darcy Brown. Amy Satterthwaite, uh, the only New Zealand batter to make a meaningful contribution, uh, reaching 44. But um, yes, in the same way that England were in sudden death mode from their fourth game. Well, mm-hmm. New Zealand have only got two group games to go. They'll need to smash England and Pakistan. They won't just have to beat them. They need to annihilate them. Mm. And as it is, beating England will be tough because they've got their tail up. They're back in, back in the saddle. So it's unlikely the home side will make the semifinals. Yeah, so the ones coming up, India will play Australia, which is a tough one for them. They've got Bangladesh and South Africa to follow. So if they lose to Australia, they've got to win those other two. Um, they've got a positive net run rate, so that helps them at least a little bit. New Zealand, England is the do or die one for both teams. Whoever loses that is gone ski. Um, but yeah, I mean, New Zealand could just stay in it if they won't win there, I suppose. South Africa play Australia, the tasty one that you mentioned, and then they play West Indies as well. So you know, they've got a, a stiff run coming up, the South Africans. That's when we'll see what they're really made of. Um, and then India play South Africa right at the back end. So those are the the ones that will shape who's ending up where in the tournament. I like that that India-South Africa fixture at Hagley Oval in in Christchurch is the last game of the group stage. I would say it's quite likely that India will need to knock off South Africa to make the semi. So there'll Mm. be a lot on the line all the way to the end. It wasn't that way, well, five years ago when I think the final day of the group stage we were up in Taunton and we knew for a week who the semi-finalists were going to be uh, by that stage. So there there will be that jeopardy all the way through uh, to the final group game over there in New Zealand. I think the only thing riding on that last day was who would play where. 
Yes, that's right. It was it was, it was Wood England play blah or would they? It was kind of similar to the men's tournament in twenty nineteen, yeah. wasn't it? That we knew who the four would be. It was just about it where was they would in, land. Yeah, it was England dodging Australia in the semis and ending up with South Africa, wasn't it? Yes, it was over at Bristol. That that mm. classic there that was uh, resolved with two balls to go. So that's the women's World Cup, Jeff. By the time that we record our next weekly show, which Realistically, it's going to be when I'm back in England. So mm-hmm. this test match will finish next well, Friday. Friday, I fly that night back to England. So it might be until the following Monday or Tuesday before we get back on the mics again for one of these kind mm-hmm. of shows. Mm-hmm. It'll probably be group stage over and we'll be right towards the semifinals. So yeah. that'll be exciting. And let's see if we can do a couple of daily shows as well, I reckon, around the semifinals and the final. That, mm-hmm. that, that I'd like to do that. So I'm sure we'll be watching, so we might as well talk about it after. Yeah, I've even been watching some from here somehow, even though they started. 3am <laughs> a lot of highlights yeah. I liked that the uh, the television here run the Women's World Cup games just on loop so you, you do get a chance to mm. plug in and out when we get back to our hotel rooms but usually that's when we're pretty knackered uh, and as I mentioned off the top pretty crook as well Hi I'm Ishigua and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Uh, Jeff, before we uh, move over to men's test cricket on the other side of the world to where we are at the moment, uh, let's do a little bit of... Nerd Pledge! Nerd Pledge. Can't yell too loudly. There are a lot of soldiers in this hotel who might (laughs) kick the door down. Nerd Pledge. It's a game that we play with the nice people on our Patreon page. They're the ones who finance the show, and they do that by sending us contributions that are not normal denominations... They're very specific denominations. They relate to cricket in some way. The number does, and we have to work out what it means. For instance, the Nerd Pledger this week is Graham Ennis, who has sent through $4.31. What does 431 mean in cricket? G'day, Graham. We were emailing just the other week, and he's dropped us a message to go with it, Jeff. I have not given you a clue at this stage, as I love the places you go to when you have a free swing. I will enjoy listening. Best wishes, and I hope you can keep doing what you do so wonderfully. Ever so kind of you to say that, Graham. Thank you. Uh, Jeff, that means you can load up on 431 and take it where you want. Yes. Well, I decided to go local. We are in Lahore, of course, when the stars seem to shine like you've had too much wine. That's Lahore. <laughs> um, we we are in the now hometown of Inzamam ul Haq, which I've learned while being here. Ul Haq means of peace. Of peace, Inzamam that's right. of yeah. peace. Isn't that a nice thought? And also, Adam, you had an evening out in Islamabad with Shoal Bakhtar. I did. Um, I which, did. Which you made. This was being um, detailed on, on, on the Great Cricketer podcast by Tommy Decent uh, from the Herald, who we're staying with uh, through the course of this tour. So he's he's given a sneak peek to the, to the piece he's going to have running in the in the uh, in the paper, I think it's on Saturday. So yes, the, the night with Shaab um, was uh, well. It was one that I will never forget. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> well, you, you, details may may dribble through on the show over time. We we shall see. Anyway, let's just have those two in your mind. Okay. Inzamam, he's the original Multan Sultan. He's from that part of the world, but he lives in Lahore now. And, and the number is four thirty one. And four thirty one is the number of runs that Insamam al-Haq made in a particular series at the end of 2005. Now, this is particularly interesting because this comes just after England win the 2005 Ashes. Uh, And they do so coincidentally with Marcus Triscothic also scoring 431 runs in that series. (laughs) They come to Pakistan and they're like, 
we are going to be a world dynasty team. You know, we are the shit now. We've we've like we've talked to Mark Butcher and Asa Hussain about that sort of era, how they were building up, getting better over that sort of two thousand and three four build up to 05 then they knock off the world beating australians the big guys the warren mcgrath everybody ponting dynasty and all the rest of it and they're like yes we're going to go to pakistan and win and they think they are going to um and they play at multan first in Zimam's original hometown michael vaughan's injured so marcus triscothic has to captain the team in Zimam makes 54 pakistan 274 moderate sort of score and then Triscothic comes in and blasts 193. England make 418. They're like, yes, we are on top of this. Second innings, 72 more runs from Inzamam. There's a ton from sports betting enthusiast Solomon Butt in his early iteration as a, a young man who was not in a position to lead the team into disarray at that point. So they make 341, but that only sets England 198, which they should knock off quite comfortably. Decent batting conditions, etc., etc. Top order collapses bit of a rebuild uh, it's Geraint Jones who is is hanging in there they're 32 from victory and then Shoabakhtar reversing the ball goes through Geraint Jones ends up with three for Pakistan win by 22 England shocked they've been beaten by somebody they go to Faisalabad Inzamar makes twin tons in that game uh, and he also at this point goes past Javed me and dad to have the most hundreds for England for, for Pakistan not for England It'd be funny if he had the most tons for England. That would be a real <laughs> statistical quirk for Pakistan. I'm sure that Yunus Khan has, went long past that afterwards. Yep. Yep. But at that point, Inzi was was top for Pakistan. Uh, England have to hang on for a draw. They're six down. They're, they only have to bat 48 overs at the end of the match, but they, they still end up six down and barely hold on to, to stay in the series. And in the third test, they come here, Adam, to Lahore, to this very place. They make 288 and then Pakistan reply with 636 for eight, <laughs> declared. Muhammad Yusuf makes a double. Inzamam again makes 97. Uh, Shoabakhtar takes wickets with the new ball, reverses it and takes them later. Ends up with five for 71. Sports betting enthusiast Dinesh Canaria with four. They win by an innings and 100 runs. They smash England up 2-0. England chastened. Their new world order has not come to pass. And it's... So largely down to the work in the series of Inzamam al Haq with 431 runs. Yes, and Shah Bakhtar reversing it about as well. That, that, that's sort of one of the last series where he was a massive presence. He played in Australia in, in 04, 05, and this is about, what, nine months on from that, something like that, and it was good to see him turn the clock back. Only a few years in, in 02, 03 when Australia played in Dubai and, and Sri Lanka. That, that one test match that he really took hold of, I think it was at Dubai, might have been Abu Dhabi, uh, when he knocked over the War Brothers with consecutive deliveries. Mm. I actually raised that with him and asked him if that was the fastest that he'd ever bowled. He, he cited some other spells, but that was right up there mm. in terms of the swing he was able to generate. And I know we both had the chance to, to discuss this on air this week with Waka Yunus, which was a real privilege too. Um, and I'm sure we will again at Lahore this week because predictably this is another ground uh, where uh, where Waka has dominated over the years so mm. it's uh, we go from one venue to the next where Waka has uh, been able to get the ball going big time so and as for Inzamam uh, I learnt during the week Jeff before the uh, before the Karachi test 
by Uzair, who, who we're going to have dinner with at some point this week. We need mm-hmm. to talk about that um, at the end of the show. Where Imam al-Haq, the previous week at Rawpindi, when he made his second century, he looked to the balcony and made, and he intimated like a television screen, uh-huh. and then Barbara Azam did it back to him. Yeah. Um, and that was to, and I might get the word wrong here, I think it's a Pachi. Um, Pachi in in Urdu effectively means a bribe or it's, it's to, in, right. it's to in, intimate some sort of nepotism uh-huh. and and the reason that was being done by Imam is that a lot of people said that he's only in the team some because he's related subterranean activity yeah. because his uncle was the chief selector when he first got his opportunity yeah. and he thus didn't deserve to still be playing test cricket having had a, mm-hmm. a bad start to his career compared to what he was able to achieve at Roll Pindi a, a couple of weeks ago so that was he and Barbara's arm signalling to each other that piece of paper uh-huh. not a million miles away from way back when with the West Indies wicketkeeper who Talkna uh, Viv Dinesh Ramden Dinesh Ramden Yeah Viv Talkna Yeah Viv Talkna Probably the highlight of the 2012 summer, I reckon that was. <laughs> but yeah, so that's and he's best mates with Barbara's arms, so um, they were able to share that moment together. So uh, thank you to Uzia for sending that through, and uh, yeah, looking forward to catching up at some point during the week. We also learned during the week that um, Intamal Mohak has a YouTube channel where he almost entirely interviews and talks about Indian cricketers. Yeah, he's worked out how the algorithm works. He, he gets it. He gets it. <laughs> And if you're watching uh, in India, we love you for it. Mm. But obviously, Inza Mums realised that... Uh, that's you know, where the views are. Almost all the views come from one country on the Final Words YouTube channel, and that's perfectly fine with us. We're 22 kilometres from the Indian border. Here. We are, mm-hmm. yes. yes. just over there. It's just yes, over I, there. I was reading about um, how this ended up in Pakistan uh, this week and, and not on the other side of the partition line. But anyway, that might be a conversation for commentary rather than digging into it too deeply on the podcast today. Well, if we did hop over the border, we'd find India playing Sri Lanka. It, we would. That's where they've been. They not have. in Mahali, which would be very... So Chandigarh is very close. It's only a couple of hours away. We, yep. could be, we could be at the Mahali ground in a couple of hours. We could be at the Shane Watson Memorial Cricket Ground. <laughs> What do we call it? We called it the Shane Watson fence. We had uh-huh. this is White Line Wireless days, isn't yeah. it? That was the James Pattinson gym. Yep. The Shane Watson sight screen. Gates, maybe. Gates. It was the. Uh, who else was part of the? Uh, it was Usman Kawaja. Usman Kawaja, yes. wasn't he? And Mitchell Johnson. Mitchell Johnson, of course. I can't believe I remember. <laughs> That's, yeah. a, that's a thing I could It's funny, remember. had you asked me to name them, I would have forgotten Usman. I would have yeah. taken me a quarter of an hour to have worked it out. That's why Steve Smith got back in the team. That's why Smith got back out. in the team and made 92. Made 92. Yep. The things you remember. The things you remember. Uh, there was a, a test match at Mahali between India and Sri Lanka just a couple of weeks ago when Jadeja was brilliant, but it was a fairly forgettable uh, contest, all told, with he, the home side winning by an innings and 222 runs, but Jadeja taking, was it nine wickets nine after wickets making 175, and 175 not out? not out, which nobody's ever done. No one's, no one's made a score that high and taken that many wickets. No one's ever betted that as a, as a yeah. sort of all-round thing if you look at the magnitude of the score. Right. People, have, people have taken 100 and have taken both, a, Yeah, taken both of them have made hundreds and taken tenfers, right? But there's only a couple. I think it's right. Shakib and both of them and that might be it. Oh, right. Actually. Interesting. Okay. But nobody's made a score that big and taken a five for or something as well. I think he's averaging 60 with the bat over the last four mm. years, Jadeja. I mean, I say it all the time, but how he ever ends up getting dropped is beyond me. And the same applies to Ashwin, by the way. In I, fact, um, if, like, if they had three of them, you'd pick him three times. You know? Yeah, I mean, I would just pick Ashwin and Jadeja for every test match around the world because they're two of the greatest cricketers of the generation. Uh-huh. I wouldn't overcomplicate matters. Well, Ashwin has gone up past Harbhajan. He's 
become. He's overtaken Dale Stain. Yeah, he, there's only. Well, he's overtaken all the guys in the four thirties. Yeah, all of the Capital Dev. Yep. Um, Richard Hadley, you know, etc. So he's basically only got Courtney Walsh and Kumble and and McGrath and Warren to go. There aren't many. I think he now. I had, took a look at it before. He's eighth all time right mm-hmm. now. It's in my notes. So the second Test match where Ashwin was influential was at the mighty Chinnaswamy, which uh, some parts of the National Stadium at Karachi reminded me of the Chinnaswamy. I, I can't wait to get back there and compare my notes again as it were um but like all day night test matches in india it seemed to gallop along really really quickly india batted first and were all out in 59.1 overs but they managed to make 252 runs in that time which is kind of outrageous considering it's day one it's dragging uh and, and all the rest but that's because shreyas eyes and the team right now are batting at number six back from uh, that injury that kept him out for most of last year. 92 from 98 balls, hitting four sixes along the way. That is just ridiculous uh, in those conditions. And it's underscored by the fact that Sri Lanka walk out in reply and are knocked over for 109. And Boomerah, uh, reinforcing what an all-format player he is on a Bunsen burner there, taking five for 24, a couple of is wickets. That his first five for in India? I think it might have well, been. Well, he's barely played in India, yeah. so it would stand to reason that it, that it could well be. Um, yeah, two wickets for Ashwin and two wickets for Muhammad Shami. Uh, India batted the second time and made uh, 303 for nine declared with Shreyas Iyer's top scoring a second time in the Test match, 67 from 87. Interesting, Jeff, that Coley in the Test made 13 and 23. The streak continues. It's It's been a thing for a long time, and mm-hmm. uh, now it's becoming a really big thing. Mm, it's not quite Essendon winning a final areas, but it's... Um I'm sure there are Twitter accounts doing how many days since Coley made 100. You've just given us a great idea. That would get us a lot of interaction if we just started the Twitter account. Yeah. uh, How many days since Coley's made 100. I reckon there'll be about 2,000 already going from this side of the border at least. Yeah, quite quite possibly. Unfortunately, only uh, one wicket for uh, Saranga Lakmal in his final test match for Sri Lanka. He's done everything for his nation over a long career. 70 test matches, 171 wickets at 36, but... Gosh, he's put in some shifts in some pretty ordinary teams. And even that wicket column doesn't reflect just how much work he had to do because a lot of the time in Sri Lanka, he'd be the only seamer. Mm-hmm. He'd bowl a few overs off the top and that was that. Fidel Fernando wrote a beautiful piece in tribute to the career and, and made that point that, you know, as captain, there were entire innings where he wouldn't use himself. You know, it, was yeah. a, it was a strange career informed partly by the country that he's from and thus where he played half his cricket. Yeah, he just, he, you know, you just bring on Rangana Herath with the new ball and, and mm. away you go. But he was a, a beautiful bowler when he had conditions that worked for him. I remember sometimes seeing him bowl in uh, white ball stuff as well in, in England, the 2019 World Cup. There yep. were moments where he'd get that, that sort of subtle swing He'd hit the length really beautifully. There was this shape through the air. Remember the five for he took at Brisbane as well? Yeah, Just yeah. how well he bowled in that innings. And, yeah, when, you, when you're trying to drag along a, a team that struggles to give you any runs to work with, um, it's, it's uphill all the way. But yeah. he's, he should be proud of what he's done. Absolutely. Speaking of uh, players we were very fond of in the 2019 World Cup, Demuth Karuna Ratna. Pool party. Pool party. Uh, he made, well, they were set millions. Mm. Um, you know, they had to chase, I don't know, 500 or something like that. And they were all out for 208. Uh, but our boy, Demuth Karuna Ratna, 107 of the best. Uh, if you're picking a World Eleven right now, uh, he's opening the batting. There's almost no doubt about that. He's probably one of the first names on the team sheet. He's making such a compelling case uh, for it in recent times. He's made uh, five centuries opening the batting since New Year's Day 2021 I worked out uh, today so um, and his batting average has gone from like 32 to 40 in that stretch of time as well I'm not saying he was a battler before two years ago but 
he was probably a victim of a pretty ordinary team. And yeah. as they've progressively got better in recent times, notwithstanding this he series. He a bit of a battler. He had that series. In 2016 against Australia, I think he made single figures in every innings. You know, That's right. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mitchell Stark just monstered him and he kept getting out in the first over. Yes. He, he did. He did struggle for longish periods to make his presence felt and then kind of got a breakthrough 100 and he's been away ever since. Yeah, he's got 1,400s in Test cricket all up now at age 33. So it's a really impressive career he's putting together. But yes, for the team more generally, uh, Ashwin did as Ashwin was always going to do on a pitch like that, uh, taking four for 55 the second time around and Boomerah three more, so eight in the match for him. I should point out that you... Completely brushed over Rishabh Pant making 96 in the first test match, which he, um, <laughs> he he has a little bit of a habit of doing now. He's been out in the 90s, maybe it's five times now, which some people would say that that indicates some sort of mental block or nerves. I think it's just that he's a super high-risk player and he doesn't care. He doesn't change the way he plays when he gets into the 90s. He's likely to get out in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, whatever. He's like, gold FM, you know. Double TFM. <laughs> um, he's willing to take on any risk at any time. And then he comes into the second test match, and, and this this has to be noted. 39 in the first innings of 26 balls. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. It's a test match. It's the first innings of a test match. Sure, why not? Uh, second innings, he makes exactly 50 from 31 balls. This is the first time that any player has made a score of over 30 in both innings at a strike rate of more than 150 in Test Match Cricket. (laughs) I think we're pretty lucky that we've got Rizwan and Punt coming through kind of at the same time. I know that Punt's a couple of years younger than Rizwan and had a different trajectory, of course, coming via the IPL and uh, a, a lot of hype around him, whereas Rizwan had to do it kind of off Broadway a little bit as the as the backup wicketkeeper and as we saw uh, on the final day at Karachi he's as good as anyone going around but yeah those two it's like a bit of a match race who's the best wicketkeeper batter in the world you can you can change your mind from innings to innings with that pair mm-hmm. so yes uh, in the runs once more already talked about Ashwin uh, rising up the all-time ladder in terms of wickets taken but um, yes the the World Test Championship implications for this Jeff I'm not sure if you've been paying attention I to it not. but India are up to 58% from their 11 tests in this cycle, which is only good enough for fourth. But they can jump quite quickly uh, up into the top two, which of course is where they'll need to be uh, to make the final because South Africa are on 60% but have played six fewer test matches and Pakistan are on 61% and they've just had a couple of draws to bring them back to the pack a little bit. Likewise, Mm. Australia are on 71% after seven tests and and draws don't help. Um, I think I read somewhere last week that if Australia play out three drawn test matches here, that will be like... Uh, absorbing a 2-1 loss for the purpose of the World Test Championship. So, um, yeah, it, it does mean that India aren't far away from from starting to, to haul in South Africa, Pakistan and, and maybe even Australia. Uh, right down the other end of the ladder for the World Test Championship, West Indies and England. They're 8th and ninth. England ninth, uh, visiting the Caribbean. It's kind of Curious to see them both that far down, I suppose. Um, but it, it makes a fair bit of sense when England have won, what, one out of 14? Yeah, cellar dwellers. I mean, England have had a dreadful start to this cycle there. We talk about percentage in, in the WTC. They've, they've picked up 11.7% of the available points at their disposal so far um, across, I think, yeah, they've played 10 test matches mm. um, when, it, when it reset in the middle of last year. And the first test last week, probably the, the less said the better by all reports. I didn't watch an awful lot of it. I know that Joe Root made a century. I know that Zach Crawley made a century and they both started the series well. It's a three test match series and 
Um, and Johnny Besto, of course, made 100 the first time around after there was an early collapse. Between times, Nkrumah Bonner uh, made his second test ton. He's had a good start to his career. He's 33 years of age, so maybe you know we shouldn't get too excited about the guy. But 11 test matches, averaging 50, two test centuries. That's at least someone they can invest some time in for the next two or three years. In the end, most of the attention was around uh, the shaking hands or not shaking hands at the end. Carlos Brathwaite doing some punditry in England was making all sorts of allegations uh, in relation to why England didn't shake hands, which were really odd and jarred and created a fair bit of blowback which is a shame in a way because he seems to be the kind of uh, talent or as they say in, in media speak who has got a long career ahead of him and therefore he'll say controversial things from time to time but this is probably his first experience of saying something that's gone wrong and, yeah. and received quite a bit of backlash i think it's it's really easy to do that on broadcast though like it, you, you're just looking at what's in front of you and maybe he's a bit frustrated at this game drifting on when it seems like there's no result and so he says something off the cuff and then everybody hops into him you know remember um remember Dirk Nannis doing that on the ABC when he made that note it was the Perth test when Ross Taylor made Ross the Taylor, yeah. and he got out and Dirk Nannis noted that none of the Australians had shaken his hand when he was leaving the field and just said you know it's a bit poor that they don't they're thinking about their own team and not not what's going on in the game. And then suddenly it was like headlines, it was articles, it was, it was Darren Lehman running the team at that point, ringing Dirk and getting stuck into him about it, like all kinds of things going on. Yeah, so, and, and the reason they didn't go over to Ross Taylor was because they were congratulating the subfielder, who yeah. was Marnus Labashain, <laughs> doing oh, the work out there it? on the yeah, rope. Right. Um, as the, I'm pretty sure it was Marnus who was doing the I work out he, there. Yeah, I thought he suffered it. Brisbane he did a couple of times. Yeah, no, Marnus did a, a couple of games as a subfielder. I mean, it makes a lot guy of sense with the now. Super red hair, whose name I can't remember. Um, Mickey, no, not, that was Sydney. Not, Mickey Taylor, wasn't no, it? No, that was yeah. But there Mickey was Taylor, one at, remembering that correctly? No, Mickey Edwards. Mickey Edwards, that's better. Yeah, there was another guy at um, the Gabba one point. Anyway, there have been a lot of them over the years yeah. because the, on the super that Channel Nine put up saying Marcus Stoinis, when there was a brilliant catch taken in the outfield as a sub-Australian fielder, it was Theodropoulos. Mm. But it had Marcus, Marcus Stoinis <laughs> as the... Well, they might have called Marcus Stoinis yeah, on the right. telly or whatever, but it was uh, it was the great man Theo who was uh, doing sub-fielder duties on, on that particular weekend. Maybe this guy's name was Jason. Maybe his last name started with an F. Jason. Right. I can't remember. Anyway. There's probably a really good piece on sub-fielders who've never really gone on to have mm. major careers but I mean obviously there's Gary Pratt but there'll yeah. be others right won't there the, the, when the Australian assistant team manager who was also worked as one of the physios he came on and they thought he was a better Errol? option was his name no it wasn't Errol no, Errol, Errol's all, Errol Alcott no, no, wasn't going him <laughs> no I, I, Stephen Bal- something Baldwin yeah um, Baldwin. Baldy was his nickname was Grant Baldwin. Baldwin. Grant, Baldwin. Grant Baldwin. Baldwin I think it was yeah. anyway that's bad I don't remember he was on the fifth Baldwin brother you make get a lot of points in the quiz if you can remember all of the Baldwin brothers. Yes, yes, all the Dado brothers as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Imagine if you got them all together. You need a minibus, but it'd be a great tour, you know, <laughs> like a tour of Kakadu or something, a minibus full of Dados and Baldwins. <laughs> Stop it right now. Get a couple of Lapalias <laughs> in there and we're, we're flying. Um, the second test match in the Caribbean, it, well, they're in Kensington, which is more likely to give us something interesting than, okay. than the Viv Richards. Oh, oh my oh. God, the Viv Richards. It is the worst ground ever. In the world, it's it, a shame that it carries Viv's name. Yeah, I was going to say it's so antithetical to him. You know, exciting, yeah. dashing cricket, and then <sighs> the place where it can't happen. But yeah, that, that that test is interestingly poised, so to speak. It stumps on day one with England batting through the day about five 
for 250, I think it is. Uh, Joe Root, another 100. So two hundreds to start the series. Mm-hmm. He's made in excess of 2,000 runs, Jeff, since the start of 2021. And only two players in the world have made more than 1,000 after him. So it gives you a sense of just the volume of runs he's scored through that time. And yeah. Ben Jones made a good point on Twitter. For all of that, he's still averaging only fi- only 59 through that stretch, which is a reminder of just how much test cricket mm-hmm. England have played in the last two years, especially the captain. Alex Lees, uh, a bit of a, a Dom Sibley tribute act there. The uh, the new opener made 30 from 138 deliveries. Bless him for it. If I can do a um, TV commentator impression. I haven't seen much of this kid play. Uh, does he does he look like Dom Sibley when he bats? No, no. Thank God. In that case, I like him. I'm all for him. They should keep him. Yeah, I don't mind him batting for a long time as long as he doesn't like give me any. And he's been around for a long time as well. He's uh, he's he's at his second county, and I think he's Mm. 31. Alex Lee's. He hasn't reached the Test team Mm. by absolutely dominating county attacks. By the way, they're going to a. An old-fashioned, experienced, safe pair of hands at the top of the order after that disaster in Australia with Hasiba Mead and, and Rory Burns falling down the pecking order and Zach Crawley, who they're using in the position, but there's a bigger picture there with, with Crawley. As we know, Crawley's going to play 100 test matches. It's just about like where he plays them. Yeah. Um, so they, they, you know, he's a long-term investment. Do they want him at three, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, it's often said in England that Alex Lees is the Nakuma Bonner of English cricket. <laughs> uh, sort of late, late blooming, uh, coming in to, to do a job. And so if, if he can give them 200s in his next 10 tests, they'll be very happy. At the other end of his career is Dan Lawrence, who we're big fans of on the final word. He made 91, his highest score in test cricket so far. I still think it's a shame they didn't play him in Australia. Mm. I just felt like he's the kind of guy... Might have done something. He, I mean, he's got a really strong bottom hand cliched mm-hmm. as it is to talk mm-hmm. about how he plays through the league side everybody talks about it in mm-hmm. England but you know he might have posed a different kind of threat to the players that England were picking test match after test match wasn't to be but on the other side of it at least he isn't scarred by yep. that he got the tour yep. without having had his stats completely ruined by the experience he, he got to have a couple of months in Australia having fun and getting drunk without having to play cricket yeah that's true the great Kentucky tour the great Kentucky tour that was the uh, 2021 <laughs> Really hoping he gets to do something in his career in the UAE as well so we can do some good Lawrence of Arabia. (laughs) Watch this space. I'm sure he'll be playing in T20 comps over there uh, through the journey. Uh, And there'll be two debutante fast bowlers for England in this test match as they take their new ball. Matt Fisher, uh, who was a bit of a bolter for this squad, but uh, he's got pace. He's... uh, he had a good season last year. Uh, he was a very young debutant. Mm-hmm. He was identified as like a 16-year-old playing professional cricket. So uh, looking forward to seeing him make the step up. And then Saqib Mahmood uh, at last. At last. Uh, you know, again, I wish he had a played in the Ashes. Uh, they went the other way. Look, Anderson has a great record at this ground. You know, Broad would do anything to be there. But if those two aren't going to be playing, I'm glad that it's Saqib Mahmood getting an opportunity and they haven't blown this opportunity to at least get a test match into this guy who could be a long-term successor to one of those two as a as an attack leader. Well, they've blown a lot of previous opportunities to get a test match into him. Um, yes. And it's kind of comical that, that Matthew Fisher's um, qualification for this test is that he's not injured. <laughs> his, 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 yes. his qualities include having a body that is currently... <laughs> able to play a test match and so they're, they're sort of they're bringing him in at the same time as Broad and Anderson are chilling at home just you know feet up probably watching the cricket can you thinking, imagine can you oh, imagine their whatsapps oh God. can you imagine the sort of messages that, um, you know what I, I don't want to be like 
I don't want to be sort of cynical about that either. They will be very, very supportive of these young quicks coming through, especially Sakib who plays with Jimmy. But at the same time, part of them will be thinking, fair dinkum. Yeah. Why are we not there? Yeah. Is this a G up or is this fair dinkum <laughs> as the question goes? Where does this sit in the fair dinkum department? In the fair dinkum department, I'll just note one thing uh, as we close. It's that there were a group of final nerds that met up to watch the first day of the second test uh, last night in Cute. the UK. I didn't get a chance to follow that on Discord because, well, you know, we explained off the top of the show what we've been doing most other than working mm-hmm. um, <laughs> uh, uh, over the last few days and it isn't drinking. Mm. Um, and uh, But I'm going to try and join them for the third test match provided there's another meetup opportunity it'll have to be in london uh because of my um commitments to rachel and winnie imagine i said to them oh i'm gonna go off to manchester to have a night, <laughs> night on a piss um so provided that's in london yeah. uh, i'd love to do a final nerds which is what they're calling themselves catch up to watch at least one afternoon session perhaps of the well, i say afternoon session an afternoon of uh the uh, third test match at Granada last week. I think it's being played there. So. Yeah, Granada. Yeah, why not? I, I will believe what you say. It's not Granada, friend. isn't it? It's Granada. You say Granada, I say Granada. I don't know. Let's I, call the whole thing off. Um, Granada, all I'm, I'm just thinking of Grenadine, which is that red syrup that you put in cocktail, like a tequila sunrise or something. Yes. You use Grenadine syrup. So maybe that comes from Granada. I'm not sure. I think Granada. 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 Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a sort of Spanish-influenced name. Granada. And they don't do Grenada. You know, no, that's, that's wouldn't a, have thought so. Well, actually, they kind thing. of do do Grenada. I can hear a Spaniard saying that. I yeah. can hear, I can imagine uh, Rafa Nadal saying that yeah. in that pronunciation. Yeah. Anyway, this is for another yeah. time. Yeah, but he's Rafael Nadal, not Nadal. True. Grenadal. True. Mm. Hey, I think our colleagues and friends are gathering for dinner downstairs, which might be uh, the right time for us to uh, end this podcast. If you enjoy what we do and you're relatively new to the Final Word community, uh, maybe you found us via the Daily Shows, maybe you're a Pakistan fan who happened upon um, us on Twitter. A lot of Pakistan fans have found us for the first time while we've been over here. Thanks for joining us. They are going to get a rude shock when I start live tweeting Geelong St Kilda. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, Dick Tommy Hawkins has clunked one at centre half forward. Oh, Islamabad is going wild. I can't get enough of the big man. We make daily shows during the mm. Test Cricket and other select times. We make a history show each weekend, although not this weekend because we're busy being, you know. Oh, no. Uh, no. But, what are, yeah, not a, we're trying to prepare to be on air. Prepare to be on air. Yeah. And uh, and we make uh, other programs along the way as well. If you really like what we're doing, patreon.com forward slash the final word. You can not only support the show financially, which is vital to letting us do things like this being in Pakistan without it being Destroying a risk to our, our financial sustainability and, you know, being able to put bread on the table and all these types of things. Uh, it also means you can get involved in a Discord channel, which is pretty bloody good. Great fun. Uh, it is great fun. It, it's Most a, wholesome thing on the internet. It really is. And there's so much love there and support there. Thomas Miles, who's an absolute gem, we've mentioned a couple of times recently, he has been doing the wagon wheels and the scorecard for every ball of the series. And, uh, and I've been quite tweeting a couple of them out as the artwork that they are uh-huh. and he's been picking up hundreds and hundreds of Pakistani followers as well which I think is a beautiful thing he, but- he is the most wholesome human being I've ever met as well the, the thing that really stood out was he, he'd, he'd watched something like 20 hours of test cricket straight because there were all the tests happening around the world he wanted to catch up yeah. so he wanted to catch up to be ready for the fifth day of yep. the 
pace we were doing. So we watched day three and day four in like in the space of 20 hours yeah. and went through the night. He's but fully so, committed but, to so the So someone course. says, oh, you must have been drinking a lot of coffee. And he says, oh, no, I can't have coffee. Uh, it's too stimulating. I drink water. <laughs> I was like, of course you drink water, Tom. <laughs> That's the fuel you need to get you through the night, Thomas. The, the, a big glass of water. The reason I raised that is how much love there was for him on Twitter from other final worders. It's like... Just lovely stuff. So the yep. Discord channel is where you can get to know other people who listen to the podcast and talk cricket and all the different parts of the global game. Uh, I and know other stuff. They're all posting photos of their pets and yeah, know, talking about what books they're reading. And, and talking about music. what films we're watching, what TV shows we're, we're picking up on. I, I found a couple of recommendations off there before we uh, came to Pakistan. So, uh, yeah, it's a lovely place, not just cricket, but life too, as this podcast tends to be. I'm Adam Collins. He's Jeff Lemon. This has been The Final Word. Thank you ever so much for listening. We'll be back with a daily show in about three afternoons from now. Good night from Lahore. Talk to your GP. You know what I meant here. I had to go.